Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to yet another episode of Middle Grade Ninja, the return of the Speed City Sisters of Crime. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, which is a middle grade mystery novel, and it is available now as a paperback and audiobook, and the ebook is free, yes, free, to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written The Book of David and other horror novels, but The Book of David is a nice long mystery novel set here in Indiana about an atheist who purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions uh, and the recurring uh, sounds of John Mellencamp singing Jack and Diane, which I feel is a very Indiana thing uh, to happen. So for more information about that, more information about me and everything that's good in this world, including interviews with thousands of editors, literary agents, authors, all the world's best people, head to middlegradeninja.com. And that's all the time we have for intro. My God, there's six of us uh, tonight. Uh, seven, including me. Uh, so we've got a, a very busy night. We have the return of the Speed City Sisters of Crime. Uh, they're back with a new anthology. Uh, it could be more excited. I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, and I'm going to start with our returning champion, Tony Perona. Uh, Tony, hi. 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 I didn't know I was a returning champion, but boy, I like that. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, I've got my daughter Liz here with me, and together we write under the name Elizabeth Perona. And uh, I was, um, before Liz and I joined forces, I wrote uh, a mystery series about a stay-at-home dad, former investigative reporter, who has a knack for solving mysteries with supernatural elements. Liz and I have joined together, and we produced the Bucket List Mystery Series which is about a group of older women who are trying to accomplish all the strange and wonderful things on their bucket list, but they keep stumbling over dead bodies. Uh, and so, Liz, do you want to say anything? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I always used to tell people I was a preschool teacher, but I'm not a preschool teacher anymore. But you're an administrator I, at your Yes, church. I'm an administrator at our church now um, by day, and I do this on the side. And you have two kids. And I have two kids, and I'm married to my husband, Tim. Ah, and then Diana Cat, you're the other editor for the new anthology, Trick or Treat. You were just holding it up. Yeah, this is it. It looks backwards on my view. But um, yeah, I'm Diana Cat, and I um, am a microbiologist, a scientist, and I like to write mysteries. I like to read mysteries. I have. Uh, my, uh, I, I'm a business owner as well, and uh, I'm, I've got a couple of dozen short stories that are written. Um, I think I have been involved in every anthology the Sisters in Crime has produced, and I think this might be number eight. Is that Tony's yeah. nodding? Yes, that's number eight. And then I have some other short stories that are in other anthologies produced elsewhere. How's that sound? What, uh, what, what, what's your business? It is called Mold Diagnostics. I do, it's an environmental uh, microbiology laboratory. Um, we do air quality testing and I go in scary places like, and like crawl spaces and um, attics and homes and look for mold, identify the kinds of mold that's present. I'm, and you look for dead bodies too, don't you, Diana? You know, I'm always <laughs> on the lookout for dead bodies. 
I found some really strange things in my adventures over the years. Not all human. No, lots of critters. <laughs> Big spiders. Big spiders, um, cave crickets, um, mice. Mice find those all the time, chipmunks and snakes, that kind of stuff. How thoughtful would it be for someone to leave a mystery writer a dead body? Like, oh, I'm sorry for the person that's deceased, but what a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Well, my imagination went crazy. One time I was in a crawl space and there was this huge mound of dirt and then a little child's desk over in the corner, a desk and chair like you'd find in a grade school. And I thought, why the heck is that in the crawl space? It just freaked me out. And I said, I said something to a contractor who was following me in there. And he said, you just got too crazy an imagination. Settle down. But I do. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth San Miguel, who was uh, instrumental in putting this whole thing together, bringing this uh, group together uh, for this event tonight. Uh, you're next. Uh, what, what what can you tell us about yourself? Um, I this is actually the second only the second story I've ever had published. Um, the other one was in Murder 2020. Uh, I'm oh by the way, it's Sisters in Crime, not of Crime. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a, a little correction there and, and there's eight people not not seven <laughs> so but there's there's seven boxes <laughs> um i my day job is uh, uh i i work uh as a SAS uh computer programmer so uh that's and that's a statistical database language um it's 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 actually very I find the job very interesting, but um, I think a lot of people would probably find it dull. <laughs> so, ah, uh, and Marianne. Hi, uh, thanks for having us. Um, I am. This is my second story in a Sisters in Crime anthology, and um, I joined probably three years ago, and I have a couple books that I've published. Um, the first was Shards of Trust, and the second was um, The Cry Beyond the Door. And then during the pandemic, uh, together with my granddaughter, Haley Landreth, we wrote Maybe Just Maybe, and uh, really enjoyed that. It was a great way. She's out of state, so it was a great way to stay in touch. And I've had some stories um, published in newspapers and magazines as well. Uh, and Karen Phillips, you're next on my screen. You're Let's muted, Karen. Thanks, Rob. Um, I have several short stories published in five different anthologies, and I really enjoy writing mystery. I'm working on a novel, but I keep getting distracted by writing short stories. And one of them that I wrote was collaborating with Ross Carley, and that is the story that's in Trick or Treats. So that was really fun to collaborate with an author. I've never done that before. And Ross Carley, other than a frequent collaborator with Karen Phillips, what, uh, what's your background? Well, I'm a professor emeritus of um, electrical and computer engineering at Purdue School of Engineering and Technology. Um, not I, Professor Emeritus means that I'm retired from the university, but I'm still consulting in artificial intelligence and cybersecurity and cybercrime. Um, 
I've written four nonfiction books, and but I've also written four novels. Two of them are murder mysteries, Dead Drive and Formula Murder. And two of them are cyber thrillers, um, uh, cyber kill and crypto kill. Crypto kill is the latest one that's currently out. But just today, literally today, finished my new book. And the cover is by Karen Phillips. Uh, this is a draft co cover, but it's called The Three-Legged Assassin. And so The Three-Legged Assassin should be out by the end of November, I would think, at the latest. And uh, Karen and I, oh, we yeah, we share cats too. <laughs> uh, Karen and I, it's the first time me, for me collaborating. I know Tony and Liz have collaborated forever, but I sort of, it was dipping my toe into the, I guess you'd call our story, The Curse of the Benjamin Mansion, kind of the horror genre. And I'd never really written that before. And Karen is very adept at, at writing horror. So we had a great time collaborating She's in Sacramento. I'm here in the Indianapolis area. And she, 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 in fact, did that cover I showed you for Crypto Kill. She designs book covers as well as being an author. So uh, I've been in Sisters in Crime, I think, four years now. And those of us who are male in Sisters in Crime are called the Mr. Sisters. So, <laughs> so uh, we're welcome in Sisters in Crime. And it's been a tremendous experience for me nationwide and meeting people from the other chapters like Sacramento where Karen is. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about collaboration because I know Liz, you're gonna have to leave us a little, uh, a little early tonight. Uh, and I'm fascinated by the idea of working with your father on a novel. So how does that collaboration go? And how do you make sure that the, that, that, uh, that that part of your relationship stays professional and doesn't bleed over so that you're editing each other at Christmas or <laughs> whatever? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I, I want to hear this one. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say how it works. We yeah. kind of, we each have our own jobs, kind of, we, at the beginning of a project, we sit down and map everything out together so that we know where we want the story to go. Um, and then dad takes over and kind of gets us from point A to point B. And then I come behind him and fill in details and edit things. And I'm usually the first set of eyes on things. And, um, yeah. yeah, so that's how it works for yeah. us. So we don't like sit down next to each other and like write no. every word. And, and uh, the ideas come from different different things, like uh, the the story that we have in in Trick or Treats. Uh, that was actually Liz's idea uh, to drop the drop the ladies in a haunted house, and and so we kind of went from there. Um, the novels have mainly been my idea where we were going there with that one, but Liz is uh, so anyway. We we share a lot of responsibilities, but. And we do sometimes talk about things that like Thanksgiving or Christmas. I mean, mm -hmm. we do. Does it work that you guys, that Tony, you you have the initial idea and you outline it and then you 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 pass it back and forth and like a, like a game attack for your draft or? Well, I'm, you know, we you know there are people who are pantsers and people who are outliners, and and we tried we tried being pantsers once and that was a disaster. Uh, so we pretty much outline everything. So when we when we start a, when we start a, a especially a book, um, we we generally know where we're going with that. And so um, I may come back sometimes and say, well look, I really don't think this is working. I want to 
take this direction or or Liz might read and say, I don't, you know, this isn't working for me either. And so, you know, we'll we'll do those kinds of, of negotiations, but um, but but by and large, because we're outliners, we sort of know where things are going. Does that make sense? Yes, I would think a lot of mystery writers would tend to tend more. I know there are pantsers, but would tend more toward uh, the plotter side of the spectrum, just because you've you've got to you've got to stay ahead of the reader and figure out you at least know who done it. So the ending presumably is going to be the revelation of who done, unless it's a series, I suppose. <laughs> you know, that's anyway. That's how we work. If you know, and, and it works for us, right? You know. <laughs> Ah, and then uh, Ross and Karen. Uh, I, I think I think we work very differently from that. I think we're both sort of uh, pantsers, and for your viewers who don't know what we're talking about, we we write by the seat of the pants. We don't know where we're going necessarily from the from the get go. And all we did in the beginning was agree on a premise for the story, and that took a couple of emails back and forth. And then we would each write. And I don't. I think I started writing first. But the, but the current introduction, the first page was written, that, that got published was written by Karen. At any rate, I would write some, throw it over the fence to Karen, and she would write some and throw it back over the fence to me. And, and the, the story changed completely from the time we started till the time we finished. To give you an idea, the original title in my mind was Chainsaw Clowns, and it ended up as The Curse of the Benjamin Mansion. So I'm going to throw it over the fence to Karen and you, you talk some because I, I and by the way, we really enjoyed working together. I don't think we had a she had great ideas. And or anyway, go ahead, Karen. Oh, yeah. Um, we found out our voice as a writer is they're two completely different voices. And so we brainstormed ideas because I had been in a haunted house experience where there were clowns with chainsaws. So I thought that would be great. But then Russ, uh, Russ Carly found the mansion that we wanted to write about and have the party in it. And so we started looking up all the history about that mansion. It was fascinating. What, what is, it really is the Benjamin Mansion, right? Yeah, it's in Southern Indiana, down on the Ohio River. We moved it up to Indianapolis. Yeah, and so it was fun, you know, reading what he wrote and then that would inspire me to write the next chapter or scene, and then we just kept it going back and forth. I think the tag, we agreed on a tagline, which Karen wrote, which I think tells the story. Uh, a Halloween party in a haunted house during COVID. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it sounds like it's already gone wrong if it's a party <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> yeah, and we like to think of it too as, um, Alfred Hitchcock meets Stephen King. Ooh. And, and oh, Tony and Diana were um, very instrumental in helping us as editors. So thank you. Yeah, that's one of the things about Sisters in Crime in the anthology. One of the reasons I enjoy writing for it is we have such great editors who, you know, and being a former academic, I have a pretty thick skin as far as editing goes. Uh, having published, I think I have 135 refereed publications in journals, and you have to have a pretty thick skin when you deal with editors, technical editors. I think if you sit and listen to them, 
and Diana and Tony are great editors. They really, really helped us uh, improve the story. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That's good to hear. And so is this the start of a, what will be a long and fruitful collaboration? Can we expect more Ross Carley and Karen Phillips stories in the future? Well, possibly, but I keep telling him I have to finish my novel. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. And of course, I put her to work designing this cover for my new one. <laughs> but I hope so, too. I already have a couple of ideas, Karen, we'll discuss. Oh, and of course, we should talk about Sisters in Crime. Um, uh, so, Elizabeth, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about Sisters in Crime and let esteemed audience know a little bit more about the organization? <laughs> okay, um, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, so, Sisters in Crime uh, was started in, was it, I'm sorry, we, we actually- 1986. Yeah, it was like 1986. We, we actually had like a, a, a information that was sent out, but of course I can't remember it right right now. 1986 by Sarah Paretsky, um, and it was it was to help uh, women authors, uh, especially I, I think, from my understanding at, at the time, it was it was more difficult for uh, women to break into the publishing world, especially like with mysteries and stuff. Um, so uh, she was a very successful uh, writer and um, she decided to start Sisters of Crime to, to help out. Um, so that's uh, Sisters of Crime National. And then one of, the, one of the awesome things actually about Sisters of Crime is that um, there are local chapters. Um, so ours specifically is Speed City Sisters of Crime. And that was started, it, it was by uh, Brenda started it in 20 it was the mid it was the mid aughts somewhere mid aughts so something like that 2005 yeah. 2006 somewhere in there right we, I'm, were, I'm, we were a spin-off of the louisville chapter yeah um so uh, i didn't actually join until maybe like five years ago um and it's it, it, it's just, um, it, it's a really wonderful chapter, I think, that we have. Um, before COVID, um, we would meet uh, once a month at, at a different place with different speakers. During COVID, um, we kept it online with Zoom. Uh, and actually, I think after COVID, uh, we will start meeting in person again, but we'll still have a Zoom component to it for people who uh, want to be part of the chapter, but <laughs> are not, you know, close enough by. Uh, and, and so, um, so it, it's, uh, and, and then we, we often have, um, guest speakers, um, often, um, we, we would, uh, have sometimes once or twice a year, um, guest speakers who came in to help with, like, the art of writing or the craft of writing, um, like, a Hank Phillippe Ryan and, uh, Lori Raider Day and, um, one I didn't get to go to, which I wish I could have, was a Reese Bowen. Um, and, and it's just, um, it, it's just a really wonderful organization uh, for men and women, for, well, for women and men, I should say. It's, it's mainly for women, but uh, we have lots of Mr. Sisters in our chapter. Um, and in fact, when I, when I first joined, uh, it was, 
it was a man who was uh, the president of our chapter, <laughs> but uh, uh, a lovely person named Michael Dabney, uh, who was one of the editors of the last anthology. But um, yeah, it's okay. it, it's a wonderful organization. And I, I think would... there's something over 3,000 members nationwide, and that there a, a lot of great things are put on by the national chapter. There are webinars on writing, craft, and so on. Um, and so, in fact, uh, things that other chapters put on, I'm, I'm signed up for a um, getting the most bang for your book being put on by the Northern California ch chapter of Sisters in Crime, which is, uh, Michelle Dreyer is the uh, new president of that. Karen belongs both to our chapter and the Sacramento, California chapter. So she's a multiple chapter member. But there are people, when you go to conferences, mystery writers conferences and mystery and thriller conferences, there's always a big Sisters in Crime presence there. And you you know, at, at a breakfast at BoucherCon, the one of the largest conferences, uh, the, the, the last time we were in New Orleans, there were 400 people at the Sisters in Crime breakfast at BoucherCon. So it's a, it's a very active organization and very friendly and very helpful. Um, and great if you're interested in getting those of you who are looking at this, you want to, you think you want to write a novel or short stories, Sisters in Crime is a great place to get involved. We have readers. One of the things you didn't mention, we have published authors. We have readers. We have playwright. Uh, one of our members is a, a, a national award-winning playwright. So if you're interested in writing plays, uh, it's a place to come. Actually, our chapter did uh, a play. Uh, Diana, you can probably speak to that better than I can. Okay, I was, I was going to bring up some of the other things that our chapter offers that may not, all chapters may not do, but one of the things that we tried um, was to write a play as a group, and we actually got it done, we got it um, uh, produced at Indie Fringe in 2018, I think it was, and we actually, the chapter made a little bit of money off of it, and um, right now that work is being going to be published with another uh, one act play that was produced or uh, written by um, Crystal Rhodes, who is the playwright that uh, Ross was mentioning. She's very acclaimed in the, and, and provided us with her expertise and her um, skill at writing a play. It was great experience. And that was another collaborative effort that many of us in the chapter were involved in. Um, I want to mention also that our chapter offers a critique group once a month. We get together, and if you have written something and you would like someone else's um, experience on, on, your, on your work, it can be an early draft of something. It could be a final draft of something, it, um, or you could be a new writer or an experienced writer. We accept anything if you want to participate in the critique group. And Ross right now, I think, is organizing that I, I, also... I, I, look, I look at myself like a, a kind of a moderator or a facilitator but yeah i'm yeah. the one i run the zoom meeting that's it, that is the critique group the same saturday we have a chapter meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning we have a critique group meeting we also have in the past had um weekend retreats that um we do all these fundraisers with our with our anthologies in the play and then we use the funds to kind of um, supplement the cost of a, a weekend retreat for our members. 
and um, we've met at a oh, Bradford Woods a couple of times, which is um, a neat a neat old homestead that that was in in the woods is owned by uh, Indiana University, I think now. But it's it's a really cool, it's supposed to be haunted, and you know it's a great place for mystery writers to be. And um, we've had to forego that. We we tried to do it every two years, but of course because of COVID, we haven't been able to do that. But that's one of the plans for in the future. And I well, I think another another thing that we do is uh, functions mm-hmm. at libraries, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, go out to a, a library. Now we're doing it virtually, but we'll have a panel of authors at the library gather together and talk about our, our writing and sign books and so on. And again, we're in a virtual mode, but we're, we're doing those, uh, still doing those, fun, um, those functions. One other thing I, that's kind of important that we do is with all these anthology projects, not only does it give unpublished members an opportunity to submit a, a, their work to get published and so you get a publication credit but we also have members submit their artwork for the cover we've had members um function as editors uh, tony and myself in this group have edited as a few um not always together i think this was our only project together so far yet but it was it's a lot of fun um but we offer it uh, offer the opportunity to anyone who wants to step in and learn that process um and oh also and actually getting the book published we've done we've had a a, a small press publisher do about four maybe five of our anthologies but we've done um uh, self-publishing through Amazon with a couple of the projects. So that's that's a another whole skill that you might not feel like you can tackle on your own. So um, we try to give everybody if, who's interested a feel for getting an, uh, their work published. And then the play, of course, was a, 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 a new venture for a lot of people. Well, here's a crucial question for, for the audience. Um, if I'm a mystery writer of um, a middle grade novel, hypothetically, uh, or a young adult novel, would there be a place for me within the Sisters in Crime? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. We we have no, uh, it's not like we're devoted to adult fiction or or children's fiction or anything like that. We, we have uh, people who write in every genre and a, a, a subgenre of mysteries. And then we also, you know, have a wide diversity of, of audience for that. So yeah, Rob, you'd be welcome. We'd love to have you. And we also have um, several list serves so that there are these subgroups within Sisters in Crime where you can um, go and have a forum for just middle grade, YA, and uh, any question you want to ask, uh, crime related or you know, there's a lot of resources out there for different categories of mystery. What if I want to write romance, but occasionally there's a detective in there? How far out of the genre do I, can I be and still be welcome within the Sisters in Crime? I think as long as there's a dead body. No. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of romance writers uh, that write mystery. So that's part of it, too. Uh, and then um, 
Marianne, I'm going to throw this to you. Uh, what uh, does esteemed audience need to know about the new Trick and Treat uh, anthology, which is available now? Well, I, I think, number one, that uh, just in the anthology theme this year is so much fun. Uh, trick or treat for mystery writers, what could be better? Um, and you have such a variety in uh, this anthology. Um, boy, it's just like, a, you know, grabbing candy from a candy jar. You know, you get to spend a little time on this one and then maybe, you know, skip around to another one. And um, uh, I think it's just going to be a real enjoyment for any mystery lover, anyone who enjoys Halloween. So I know the uh, last time we, we did this, uh, episode 79, esteemed audience, make sure you listen to that either directly after this or directly before. You've, you've got your day sorted. Um, we, we talked about the theme of 2020 um, and it was a little bit about vision. I believe we talked about the uh, 20th chapter within the, the Bible at one point, a lot of different variations on 2020. What was the overall theme for submissions for Trick or Treat? There's always some type of mystery to it. Uh, there's some type of a uh, little bit of a thrill, uh, since it is Halloween, uh, that is included in the stories that I've read so far. Well, if, if I could, I'll jump to the, the back of the book um, and to answer your question. Crumbling mansions and ancient cemeteries, haunted houses and med school dissection rooms, all are terrible places to visit on the spookiest night of the year. So, of course, the authors of the Speed City Sisters in Crime go there, and you can go with them from Halloween parties to autumn festivals to trick-or-treaters. Indiana is the home of ghosts, apparitions, and in the flesh, evil ones in this time and in yesteryear. Sixteen tales for All Hallows' Eve, when the veil between the afterlife and this life thins and the night fills with wonder and dread. Yay! Well said. <laughs> when, uh, well, if I can just interject here, when uh, when Diane and I you know, started started looking at at doing this anthology, um, our our thought process was that it had to relate to Halloween or or some activity that that was wrapped around that particular holiday, and we wanted stories that were between three thousand and six thousand words. And really, that was what we said. And we were delighted with the way people interpreted that and came up with really interesting, fascinating things. Um, Diana, do you want to add anything to that? So I love the variety of the submissions that we got. Um, people are great about coming up with their own take on what Halloween means and what um, their favorite parts of Halloween are obviously enough so that they could write a story about it. But we have some from the past um, and some kind of futuristic or uh, sci-fi sort of like um, and everything in between. It was, it was really fun. So with all the submissions that you got, uh, Tony and Diana, our, our, our fearless editors, how do you go about the impossible task of winnowing that down to the number of, of, of the anthology? Do you throw them all up in the air and whichever one's <laughs> on the table, they're in and whichever ones are on the floor, don't, sorry, submit next year? 
Well, it was a blind submission. I also I want to emphasize that too. Um, the only person who knew what stories were connected to the authors was Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth was the person that stripped out the name and everything and, and sent the rest of it on to Diana and I. And we both read the stories and then we, we sort of ranked them before we talked about them together. And, um, and then it was just a matter of we, we knew from the size of the book that we probably could take 16, 17, maybe 18 stories if, you know, if we could get a word count that, that, you know, worked in there, you know, like if some people had a 3,500 one, you know, that would allow extra room. So we might be able to fit in a 17th story or whatever. And we just sort of um, empirically played with it. We were, um, yeah, we were delighted that, that we felt like so many of the stories uh, were just needed little tweaks and then we had some that we we definitely needed felt we needed some edits to to you know make the story cohesive and and uh, all the authors were great to work with um, we really uh, I'm trying to think where there were really only two or three stories that didn't work out and mainly the authors themselves pulled the plug on them Did yeah that's I was gonna add to that um, we. Some of them we gave the, I don't think they agreed with the suggestions maybe that we came up with, or mm -hmm. they didn't have time to make those um, corrections in the time frame we wanted. So um, they pulled the story, but there weren't very many. Most everybody was willing to at least entertain what, what our ideas were. And so does it work that, uh, you know, you divide them up evenly and Tony, you take one stack and, and Diana, you take the other and then you edit them and come back together? Or are you each editing every story and, and doing a, a separate pass? I think each of us took a set of stories to do the first pass, but both of us edited all the stories. And, yeah, after and we had our first look at them and our and going through about half of them then um, we shared our our edits with each other and then we got on the phone and and went through them and and discussed what we had suggested as an edit and and if the other person agreed with that or had a different idea and um that worked real well tony and i were in agreement almost always with things uh, and we had a good bunch of writers to work with, too. We, that was we great. did. We did. Mm -hmm. We had a great bunch of writers to work with. So, Karen, as a submitter to the anthology, I assume you got edits from Diana and Tony. Were they absolute tyrants, or <laughs> what, was, what was your experience about being edited? Oh, it was a great experience. They had good suggestions, and if uh, Ross or Russ sorry, Ross Carley and I uh, had a question or thought maybe what they suggested might not work, we would have a discussion. So, but I think 90% of what they suggested we incorporated. Uh, and then uh, we've got lots of uh, questions about writing mysteries. I know that we're coming right up on the time that Liz needs to leave. Uh, and I, I try never to have someone on the podcast that I don't ask this question of. So before you go, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to ask everybody. 
Uh, Liz Perona, have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? I have not. Uh, Tony, have you seen any ghosts or flying saucers since the last time we did this? Uh, not since the last time, no. And I think I told you my ghost story the last, the last, or my angel story the last time. So, uh, but I haven't had haven't had an experience like that since. Gotcha. I uh, will just go right around the screen since we're there. Um, Diana, have you seen a ghost and or a flying saucer? Oh, when I was a little, when I was young, like maybe fifth or sixth grade, I was at a a party and, and we all saw something in the sky and and the the host dad loaded us all in the car and we went chasing around out around town trying to get a better look so that was my closest thing to a flying saucer we never figured out what it was it was just a bunch of weird shaped lights ghosts not really no I should clarify, by the way, if you've got like a Bigfoot story or you saw a leprechaun, don't hold out on me. Make sure you. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, you're next on the screen. Uh, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and Marianne? Uh, yeah, funny story. Um, I, just this past winter, I was looking out the big window and saw five orbs in the sky, night sky. And so I quick ran and got my uh, cell phone, got a picture of it. And then I noticed as I was moving about um, that one would disappear, then come back, and another would disappear, then come back. I finally realized it was a reflection of the recessed lights inside the house. <laughs> looking out, it just looked like, oh my gosh, these orbs are just hovering out there. What are they? <laughs> but I did use that picture on a lot of people. <laughs> um, and as far as ghosts, um, I would have to say more of like an experience where um, an intervention almost. Uh, for example, one time I was at an, to a stoplight at an intersection and um, I had an envelope up on the dashboard and um, my windows were up, there was no air on and uh, the envelope just all of a sudden fell to the floor like somebody had just swiped it off of there. And I quickly went to pick it up and the light had turned green while I did that. And by the time I started to go, a car had just blown through the intersection uh, with a red light and uh, going at a high speed. And I would have been broadsided had I not uh, stopped to pick up that envelope when that went, got swiped off the dashboard. But a lot of different things like that where it's like somebody's watching out for me. So, so it's possible there's an alternate timeline where you're not here anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Doubled up. <laughs> oh, that would leave it open for a lot of comments. <laughs> Uh, and Karen, how about you? Uh, no flying saucers, no ghosts, but I did have something like what Marianne experienced where I was snorkeling and I, the wind picked up and the waves were putting water in my snorkel tube. And I was tired from swimming and I started hyperventilating and somebody out of nowhere just grabbed me and swam me to shore. And all I saw was their fins disappear under the water and then I don't know where they went 
Hmm. Ah, and uh, Ross? Well, you're asking somebody who's been in the space program. Um, <laughs> so you know. And, well, I have. No, I don't know. And he can't talk about uh, it. <laughs> I, well, there are things I can't talk about, but I don't think there are. I, I you know, I, I have not seen what. I, I really believe there are. Uh, there are that the UFOs that people are reporting are real, a lot of them. Um, but I've never experienced one personally. Uh, I've had an experience. I, my, my daughter named Renee died when she was 14 years old. And I have felt her presence on more than one occasion uh, when I was under high stress. And I don't know what that, it's almost, again, you called it an intervention. Maybe that's what they are. They've only happened three or four times, but um, I have felt Renee's presence and I can't call it a ghost, but that's the closest I can come. Mm -hmm. Well, pivoting uh, back, to, back to writing, <laughs> back to, to mysteries, here is the most difficult and impossible question that I ask. Uh, and Liz, I'll throw this one to you before before you leave us. Um, <laughs> you got fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> you were this close. Uh, I saw you getting ready. Um, I always ask, what is your favorite, since we're talking about mysteries, what is your favorite mystery novel and what writers have most influenced you? Wow. I love Harry Potter and I know it's not a mystery, but I just like, absolutely love Harry Potter so I think that's and I really love young adult fiction like I would pick that any day over like an adult novel I just love it and I think it's the teacher in me that just I love that well I would say every Harry Potter novel is a mystery that's uh, just the solution always happens to be the defense against the dark arts teacher that's oh hi <laughs> <laughs> and Tony uh, boy, a favorite. Um, you know, it kind of depends on the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, somebody that I really admire and look up to is William Kent Kruger. Uh, I think his mysteries are beautifully written. They're, they're so full of life and purpose and meaning and uh the and the the guy like i said just writes i wish i could write like that he just he's has ways of setting scenes that just bring you right in there and um yeah yeah so he's he is i think just a remarkable writer and uh and his well his, his last standalone novel which was called this tender land it remains one of my very favorites. It's just wonderful. It's sort of a coming of age. Uh, Sisters of Crime just had him uh, for a virtual event, trial. They did, yeah. Yep, and anyway, so I, and if you have not, you know, this is to anybody out there in the audience, if you have not read William Kent Kruger, uh, he's got a, a series, um, and but, you know, if you don't want to get, wrapped up in the series, read his two standalone novels, Ordinary Grace uh, and This Tender Land. They are amazing, amazing novels. In fact, the Ordinary Grace won the Edgar Award uh, the year it was published. And, just, and I was really disappointed that This Tender Land did not get nominated for an Edgar because uh, it, it was just a remarkable novel. 
And Ross, uh, same question to you. Favorite mystery and writers who've most influenced your work? Well, I can. It's easy to answer who influenced me the most. It, it's Les Roberts. Les wrote and and still writes. Um, he, he's in Cleveland now, but he wrote mysteries starting out in Los Angeles and then wrote, I think, seventeen set in Cleveland. And he is, uh, and he's still a, he's a friend now. But he is the uh, I, I was a close friend of my of my wife's sister, and so I I met him kind of a long story, had coffee with him every time I went to Cleveland. I read all of his novels. I loved him. And he finally said, Ross, you ought to write your own mystery. And he was really the one who inspired me to start writing novels. As far as my favorite one of all time, probably John Ross McDonald's book called The Galton Case, which goes so far beyond. It's a psychological thriller and a mystery set uh, mainly in Canada. And the Galton case is a is one that I have probably reread ten times. Uh, Karen, um, authors who have influenced me uh, definitely Stephen King, Alfred Hitchcock, Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, Dennis Lehane, Robert Cray. I love humor and dark humor. Um, one of my favorite authors is C.J. Box. And he writes um, a, an excellent series that is about a game warden out in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. well, I see Ray Bradbury in your stuff too. Oh yes, I'm, I forgot to mention him. Ah, and Marianne? Um, as far as a, a mystery that I would recommend is, uh, I love Louise Penny. You know, I do tend to get on uh, the bandwagon with different authors, but lately I've been reading a lot of her her books and uh, The Better Man. Uh, recently I read The Brutal Telling and I love her uh, humor that she throws into the books. Uh, she seems to have that whole package, you know, the plot, the characters, um, the uh, setting, you know, uh, it's just really, I wish I could do that, you know? It's just so neat that she can pull that all together the way she does. And, um, you know, I really enjoy reading uh, everything. Her, our manga mosh reminds me so much of Agatha Christie's Hercule Perot. Uh, a lot of similarities there, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd really recommend her books. Elizabeth? Um, so try, trying to like pick one author <laughs> that, that you love is sort of like, I don't know, <laughs> asking a crack addict to, you know, pick their favorite, <laughs> their favorite drug. Uh, well, no, uh, or, uh, I think that would be easy for a crack addict. Okay, no, maybe, <laughs> uh, I, I need to be more general, but... <laughs> To, to ask a drug addict, a drug addict to pick their favorite drug. <laughs> How about that? Um, anyway, so uh, two authors that um, I, I like, whenever they come out with anything, I always go get their books, um, are, uh, uh, is uh, Jim Butcher, and uh, especially his Dresden Files. Uh, I, I love those books, although in his last book, he killed off one of my favorite characters, so I'm still kind of mad at him. Um, and, um, and, uh, Charlene Harris, 
uh, who I have uh, had the delight of meeting actually a couple of times. And uh, I, I don't know if you guys have read any of her books. She, she runs the gamut of, you know, like she has cozies and a lot of her stuff was like, um, you, know, you, you think of like the, the vampire stuff. Uh, but they're all all definitely mysteries, um, and um, she's she's this tiny little lady. She's like maybe five feet tall, if if that, and and she's you know kind of a sort of seems like southern lady or whatever. And and I just remember when I was meeting her, I was like, how does she come up with all this weird stuff? And, you know, I was like, I mean, it, it's it's just amazing um, the the. The, the books that she comes up with. Um, like actually the, the Midnight Texas, uh, well, it's actually, it was called the Crossroads Trilogy, but the, then they made it into a TV show called Midnight Texas, um, which only lasted two seasons, unfortunately. But um, I don't know, I, I, I just, I love her stuff. There, there's a lot more authors that I love, like Lori Raider Day actually, who um, is, is a member of our chapter, uh, as well as being uh, one of the past presidents of National. Uh, she's she's a wonderful writer. I, I love her books. Um, there's just there's just too many to mention. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, uh, and Diana. Well, I I I love everybody. I've read everything everybody's mentioned. Every author they've all mentioned. But I'll throw out a few other names that are are really good. Um, uh, Sarah Paretsky, who is the founder of Sisters in Crime. Um, S.J. Roseanne, who's done a lot of, uh, she's a real good writer and a real good uh, chapter friend. Um, I like Elmore Leonard. I like uh, Tony Hillerman. Um, Stephen King, I think somebody mentioned him already. Um, all the Sherlock Holmes books, I grew up on all those. And, and just, I just was an avid reader and I, it's hard to pick a favorite, probably my favorite book that I've read multiple times besides Harry Potter I've read that a lot but um To Kill a Mockingbird uh, your middle-aged readers might have read that by now it's it's a real good classical story that if they haven't read it they will by the time they get out of high school I think yeah, I don't I don't say they did and then read it when they are older and say oh my god why did I skip this in high school mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I want to mention this one it's the one I'm reading now it just won the Anthony Award at voucher con is called blacktop wasteland by cosby uh, an african-american writer and this is an absolutely amazing book uh it i had not even heard of him before and that's my you know my own ignorance but he won the anthony this book won the anthony award this year and i'm just about finished with it i highly recommend uh it's a very uh, powerful and somewhat dark um um novel and and but he's a powerful writer and then i'm always wanting to know about writers work habits and and, and look at this we, we had seven now we've got uh six uh authors uh still uh with us and i want to know each of your habits and if two of you tell me that you do the same thing every time and are successful then i'm chucking what i do and i'm, I'm doing that <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth, let's uh, start with you. Uh, I'm probably not a good person to start with. Uh, uh, I'll do things like uh, take uh, Rob Kent's class at the Indiana Writer Center that forces me to write a lot so that uh, so that you will not uh, 
make fun of me <laughs> in class. Um, uh, well, that's not true. I did that anyway. I'm a terrible teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think so. Uh, actually, I, I thought that the, the class that I took was, was really useful. I was going to take your, your class um, upcoming, but then they, they put it back on Zoom again, and I'm just like, I... I'm on Zoom. I'm 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 on you know video too much already as it is with my job. I'm just I, I wanted to see people in person again, but the writer center had to put it off again. So I was heartbroken that we were the the, the, the not enough folks got vaccinated and now we've got variants out there. Uh, but hopefully one of these days we're going to get back together in person because there's just no substitute for it. Yeah, I just got my booster shot the other day. So yeah, so did I. <laughs> Congratulations to, to both of you. And I should point out, Elizabeth has the distinction of being the first former student who's been on the podcast. Like, that is a hey. thrill for me. That, that's kind of that's wild. Because uh, some, some of the people in the class that I took, I, I, was, I was so impressed with what they were writing. I was like, wow, like, these people are way better than I am. <laughs> so, um, but... Yeah, I mean, usually I, if I, if I get up early enough in the morning, that's my, that's my best time to write because, um, you know, I'm just coming off of, of sleep and uh, I, I, you know, I think about stuff like all night long and um, I, I tend not to do actually as well late at night. And so I'm, I'm actually struggling right now because <laughs> it's like, this is really late for me. <laughs> so. But, um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I just, uh, I, I try to get something written uh, in the mornings. Let's toss in reading habits uh, as well to this question. So that's your writing. What are your reading habits? I listen to audiobooks almost exclusively now. I, I used to be a voracious like book reader. Um, and then I switched to Kindle, but um, I started listening to audiobooks probably about 15 years ago and uh and they just uh especially like with audible and the advent of mp3 players and, and stuff like that where you can just stream the, the the books um and now i just tell alexa to play my audiobook for me at night and set a sleep timer um so uh but yeah, I mean, I, I, I still read voraciously, but it's it's actually listening to it more than anything. Yeah, my uh, New Year's resolution this year after the, the hellscape that was 2020 was enough politics, no more, the election happened. Every time I go to listen to anything about politics or watch the news rather than just read it and be done with it, I would put on an audiobook like, nope, I'm blocking all of that out. And I have enjoyed my life so much more this year. And I've, I've gotten more books knocked out that I would have missed, uh, wasting my time fretting about things that unfortunately they don't ask my opinion on. I keep waiting for that call from Washington. Rob, what should we do? And it, it never comes. Right? <laughs> 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 I, I, uh, I'm like, I have all the answers. They should just listen to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, especially with audiobooks, though, uh, who's reading it, it makes a big difference. Um, because uh, like, like one of the, the, the Jim Butcher um, Dresden Files, I don't think I would have continued on with the series except that um, James Marsters uh, read those books. And so the first two books 
are, are good, uh, but I mean, they become excellent, like three on. And um, if, if it hadn't been for James Marsters reading it, um, he, the, the dude's just excellent. Uh, and I mean, he, he takes a, a really good book and makes it, I think, kind of into a great book. So, uh, Ross, uh, let's go to you next. What are your writing and reading habits? Well, my, I, my, I, first of all, when I get up in the morning, I try to, I, I will have, a, I, I will pick a time to, to write. And my, my ideal schedule, which I've, I managed to do about three times a week, is I like to get up and edit what I wrote the previous day first. I take a look at what I wrote the previous day get in my mind where I'm going. I go for a walk and I usually walk about uh, two and a half to three miles. I come back and when I come back, I sit down and write. Now that's, that's the optimum day, but I, I, I do consulting. So I may have a Zoom meeting, a consulting meeting or whatever, but if I have that, I will have set aside a time to write in the afternoon or whenever. I don't write well in the evening. Evening is I, I generally reserve for reading. And I'm, I usually have at least three books going at any time, maybe an ebook on my computer and then a couple others that I'm reading in print version. But I, I read, I think most of us are voracious readers. I probably read 50, I re read about a book a week on the average. Uh, and oh, any, any, money mo, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, I, you know, after hearing everyone else, I'm like, ugh. You don't really want to hear my habits. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, right now I have uh, my own book in the works, another book I'm collaborating with my granddaughter, um, and I just submitted another short story uh, to a magazine. So, you know, I'll, I'll have like a dry spell and then it's like whoosh <laughs> all at once. And uh, so not a lot of rhyme or reason to how I tackle things. It changes constantly. Well, it's working. You know how I know you're in the new Sisters in Crime anthology and you're on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast. So it's going all right. <laughs> uh, and thanks to the editors who were just fantastic. I mean, they really were. It was great to work with them. And, uh, you know, can't say enough about them. Uh, as far as um, reading, um, I just love to read and I love, I love to read a variety. I like to throw in something once in a while that is not a genre I usually will read. Um, and, uh, oh, I downloaded your Boniker, <laughs> your book. Uh, am I saying it wrong? Uh, just started that, your free one on Kindle. Oh, you mean Benneker Bones and the Giant Robot? Benneker Bones, yes. Yeah, I would say that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I enjoy, you know, the kids' books as well. So um, kind of all over the place. Well, I'm very flattered, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Diana? Okay, so um, I used to have a really good writing habit where I would take my lunch hour at work and just go sit by myself in the cafeteria and write for an hour and usually it was just freehand and then that the rest of the day or that evening I would be thinking about what I wanted to do the next day on my lunch hour 
But um, once I started my own business, I no longer had a lunch hour. So it it was uh, a whole different world. And I would uh, keep a notebook by my bed. And if I thought of something when I woke up at night, I would write it down. So I have a I have a good sized notebook full of story ideas and and single lines or dreams or you know just ideas to get me going on the next story um but what lately what i've found works for me is to commit myself to um a submission proposal or submission opportunity and has they always have a deadline and if i'm writing towards a deadline i can focus a lot more on that so i, I like to have a deadline um so, but my, the whole pandemic thing has just really thrown me off my game. And I, I just have had, a, I've had a struggle trying to write fiction with all the horrors that have been happening um, in 2020 and, and currently this year. So hopefully soon I'm, I've got things in mind that I want to do and, and plan my schedule so I can get that hour a day at least, because you can get things done if you devote a certain amount of time to it okay and what i like to read right i do listen to audiobooks i have one all the time when i'm sitting at the microscope doing work i have an audiobook going um i try to read actually read a chapter in a a novel a chapter or two not too much um before i go to bed at night and sometimes I'll, if I'm traveling somewhere by myself, I'll have the audio book on in the car. So I usually have several things going at one time. And that's been a big change. I think that COVID has come along. I used to travel for work a lot and I don't do that anymore. And I would read, you know, I, I, I'm going to San Francisco and I change planes in Denver. I can finish a book by the time I get back home. And we, we're just not traveling anymore like that. So I'm actually having more trouble finding time to read than I am finding time to write. Well, I've uh, replaced my travel time with video game time. And video game time is the perfect time for an audiobook because video games are just bing, bing, boom, boom, boom. You don't need to hear that. Just turn that down a little bit and <coughs> enjoy a wonderful story. And it's like driving a car, except you're still home. And when you're done, you're done. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, Karen, what are your uh, writing and reading habits? Um, I'm most productive in the morning, and I'm like Diana. I really excel when I'm under a deadline. And I used to work for a newspaper, so I'm really oriented that way. And short stories are perfect for that. You know, you have a definite, finite submission period, usually, I don't know, six months, a little more sometimes. Um, and I always read my work before I submit it. When you read it out loud, rather, it really, um, you really pick up on things that need to be edited that you didn't catch when you're just reading silently. Um, in terms of my reading habits, I like to read in the evening. What, I know that one of our members, in fact, the current president of the Sisters in Crime chapter, uh, Janet, um, She's a, she's a journalist, and she will write a short story. And what she does is she reads it out loud backwards, starting with the last paragraph and mm -hmm. going back through the story. 
And I think that's really interesting. I tried it, didn't work for me, <laughs> but it, it works for, for some people. Uh, and I think reading out loud does help, but I, I'm aware of some people, they actually go through it backwards in a paragraph at a time. Uh, good news, esteemed audience. If you go back and you listen to episode 79, you can hear Janet on this very program uh, talking about her, her reading and writing habits. Uh-huh. Uh, and last but never least, uh, returning champion, Tony Perona. And you know, it occurred to me that this is your third appearance. So you are either tied or you may be the most recurring guest because you were on the previous uh uh, Speed City Sisters in Crime, and then of course you and I were on a panel together in, in 2017, which esteemed audience can find back in the catalog as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to be on again, Rob. It really is. Um, I'm gonna make you co-host next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, okay. Well, aside from your desperation, um, I'll answer the question. Uh, but you know, I'm a terrible procrastinator. I really am. I'm awful. And that's why I, I wonder if saying what my writing habits are, it really would help anybody because <laughs> I am. What you mean? I used to, like Diana, uh, when I was working, I'm now retired, but when I was working and I was under a deadline because Liz and I had signed the contract with Midnight Inc. Uh, and so we had a book a year to write and, and, um, I was the deputy town manager for the town of Plainfield at the time. And I, that was such a busy job and trying to find time to finish this novel um, was all the novels was just really a challenge. But because I had that, I knew I had to write, I would get up an hour before I left for work and then I would write on my lunch hour and I was very regimented and I got a lot done. Now that I'm retired, Heck, it's hard for me to sit. I'll sit down and I'll I'll think of things I have things other things I could be doing and and I'm and I'm also one of those people who has. I'll be started on a project and I'll think of something else that I'd like to write instead of the project that I'm on. Especially if I'm about halfway through it, you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, what if I, you know, I like this story and 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 so um, yeah, it's a wonder sometimes that I get things done. Um, but yeah, I, nothing, I, I guess the most important thing for me is nothing motivates like a deadline. When I have a deadline, mm -hmm. I get it done. So that's probably, that's probably my key thing. As, and as far as writing, the thing that, or as far as reading, what I wanted to say is, I don't know how people, and, and you guys, it sounds like you all are able to do a lot of things, like when you listen to an audio book or uh, you know, my wife will read a book while she's watching television at the same time. And I love to focus on a book. I, when I, like, I don't even have music going when I'm reading because I just love the words and I love what the author is doing. And I don't want to be distracted from that. And in consequence, I read, I don't get a lot of books read, which I know, which is both good and bad. I richly enjoy the books that I read, but I don't read a lot of them. Um, and so that's just, but that's just me. I, I, I have, I have to be able to just focus on, on what the writer is saying. I, um, I just can't do multiple things. 
So if that's, I guess that's maybe a negative habit. I don't know. But I, I like to not, when I read, I like to not have music on or like if I'm on a plane, I may put my headphones on so I don't hear distracting noise, but I won't play the music. You know, like it looks, if anybody else would think I'm listening to music, uh -uh. I'm just, I just have the noise blocked out so I can read. I'm the same way, Tony. Are you? Yeah, I don't, I can't even listen to music when I'm reading. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear somebody else is like that. <laughs> You're not the only weirdo. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Earphones, if nothing else, would do a nice job of keeping people from feeling like they should talk to you while they're sitting next to you and you're trying to read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious with the deadlines, if you were to set a deadline, uh, does it have to be official? Or if you just say, hey, I'm going to pretend that my deadline is Friday, does that work or no? Not real well. <laughs> Not real well, because I know it's changeable. You know, it's... it's what you, you say, which Friday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, really, yeah, it doesn't seem to work. If I if I have a deadline, like for a, you know a short story submission or something like that, uh, you know, then then I, okay. In my mind, if I want, if I really want to get this story into uh, into you know, like uh, um, uh, I, I recently submitted for one of the Mystery Writers of America National um, books. And I really thought I had a great story, wanted to make sure it got in there. And so that was, I was working on a deadline and, you know, so those, those are hard deadlines, but if it's just me, I'm terrible. I really am. I, one of the things that I've started doing now since Midnight Inc. Um, closed up shop, they're, they're not, they closed their, Llewellyn, who was the parent company of Midnight Inc., uh, shut down the imprint. Uh, and so... Uh, now I'm, Liz and I are experimenting with self-publishing, Rob, and, and uh, I may be talking to you soon about that. But, um, you know, that I think, uh, what, what I think I need to do there is to tell people that I'm going to have a book out on a certain date. And then because I've told people, now it becomes a deadline, right? <laughs> I can't. I can't put it off. Um, so I, I'm thinking that may be the way I'm going to get myself motivated in the future. That can work. It turned, it blew up in my face terribly. And when I did the book of David, I released it as a serial novel and I wrote ahead, of course, and I had the first three and I thought, well, the last two will be relatively easy and I can get those done and edited because um, you know, I had my editor uh, available to me and I had my, my critique partners and my, my early readers available. And I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm in the midst of four. I'll go ahead and I'll put out one and I'll let everybody know that, you know, next month you'll get the next one. Uh, and sure enough, I fell behind and I was almost a year late on the fifth one. And I had the angriest emails from readers like, you left us on a major cliffhanger. How are we ever going to read the end of the story? And I said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I will never do this again. I wish I had just made up the deadline and kept quiet about it. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's good to know. Don't make my mistake, Tony. <laughs> Thank, you. Save yourself. Thank you. I'll just keep procrast procrastinating then. 
Well, I'm uh, watching our, our time, and I know it's uh, it's getting late, uh, so it's probably time to start thinking about uh, landing this thing. But thank you, all, all of you, um, for making time this evening and for being such insightful uh, and, and a wonderful guest. I've had a, a wonderful time, and I'm sure esteemed audience has as well. Uh, my final question is always some variation. Uh, if you could go back and tell yourself at the start of your writing career or in the middle, wherever it would be useful to you, uh, give yourself some advice that would have made your path easier and might make easier the paths of everyone who's watching or listening to us right now. Uh, what would you go back and tell yourself? And then also let esteemed audience know about your website or where they can find you online. Uh, and Ross, let's start with you. Wow. Uh... Control, alternate word, delete. <laughs> In other words, um, I had to learn to pack it down. Too much information. Um, I, I won't go further than that. I, I actually learned that before I started writing novels. I learned that in, I, in the four nonfiction books that I authored. I had to learn that as I was writing technical stuff. And it absolutely carried over into the novels. Um, but I wish I had known that you know, before I started writing um, some of the, the other books. Um, and what was the other question? Uh, just where can uh, Steam oh, oh. you find? Um, well, I, 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 my website is www.rosscarleybooks.com. That's easy enough. And my Instagram is uh, ampersand Ross Carley author. So it's Ross Carley author on Instagram. Um, and I, I'll let it go at that. I think oh, well, Facebook, I have a Facebook account, which is Ross Carley books on Facebook. Ah, and Karen. Um, yes. So let's see. I would say to younger or new authors, um, Feel confident in, in your story, in your writing ability, and just write the story. And then when you ask for feedback, take that with a grain of salt, listen to the advice that you feel will help your story improve and uh, grow a thick skin because you really do need to listen to that advice in order to become a better author. And I don't have an author website, uh, I have a, a website for my cover design. It's philipscovers.com. If anybody out there needs a cover for their newly published, soon to be published book. I think uh, Liz and Tony might, might be reaching out to you in the <laughs> here. <laughs> well, again, I'll put, it, I'll put up a, uh, this is Crypto Kill that Karen designed a cover for. There we go, which I love. Thanks, Karen. Uh, and Marianne, what uh, writing advice would you go back and, and give yourself? Um, I think I'd have to say, you know, do what works best for you. Um, there's always so many expectations out there and advice, uh, you know, and everyone's lifestyle is different and things going on in your life. And you just have to do what's going to work best for you and go for it. You know, um, 
I, you know, I was, I wrote at a time um, when I was home with the kids, I was a social worker. And uh, when I had my kids, I was home and I wrote for a uh, newspaper, children's stories. And that worked for me at the time. I had deadlines and, um, you know, funny things happen, you know, like they, you know, said, oh, we're going to put all their photos out there this week. And I already submitted my story and it was the ugliest creature. So there's my picture next to the ugliest creature. Title. <laughs> but, you know, you just got to go with the flow and laugh it off. And um, so, you know, different things. And uh, writing sometimes can be something you don't publish. Um, going through um, experiencing uh, family deaths and uh, did some writing at that time and very personal and um, something I still keep close to my heart. And, um, but it, it was very helpful. So, um, you know, not everything has to be the, you know, uh, award winning and uh, for you to still go for it. I encourage anyone, you know, I'm really pushing that with my granddaughter, you know, and she's, you know, ex she's really giving that love of writing and I can do this to all her other friends in school. So, I, you know, it's just do what works best for you, I think. And have you got a, a, an online presence where we can find you? Uh, sure, you can find me at uh, www.makunst.com. Uh, and Elizabeth, I assume your advice to yourself would be to take my workshop sooner. So, so vital. <laughs> right? uh, totally. That is totally what I was going to say. <laughs> um, Excellent, Diana. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I would say to myself. I, I, I probably wouldn't listen because I, I, I had not been listening <laughs> to people. Uh, so, so, um, but uh, one of the, somebody at one of the conferences that I, I went to said that, um, like, uh, uh, that they, they were talking to someone who, wasn't getting very much writing done because they were they were trying to be perfect like basically the first time out and uh and I, I guess her response to the writer was oh please like you can't grow flowers like it, it's it's a lot easier to grow flowers and um manure I, I will use that <laughs> word it said manure rather than air meaning you know, just get something on the page or in, in the computer so that you so that it could be edited uh, down and um, and and like I remember when I heard that I was like oh that makes so much sense so it's sort of like give I, I I've, I've given myself permission to be really really bad <laughs> uh, at, at my writing <laughs> but just get something on the page and can we find you online someplace no actually I I I have a website uh, but I never put anything on it <laughs> so. So you you wouldn't even be able to uh, to, to like if, if you went there it would just sort of be like uh, have the title thing on it and nothing else. I've never actually put anything on on the website, so I got nothing. 
keep your ear to the ground, esteemed audience, because it's my personal working theory that Elizabeth Sam Miguel is secretly the most powerful person in Indiana publishing. You're involved <laughs> in almost every group. You show up uh, almost every place uh, through where writers are, like Kaiser Soze, just there in the background pulling the strings. <laughs> uh, I wish. Uh, if, if that were true, I would have gotten myself published uh, more often than I have. So. Let us uh, turn now to our fearless editors. Uh, Diana? Okay. Um, Dianacat.com. I'll start off with that. That's my website, and it's kind of out of date. I haven't, uh, I haven't added much lately. I think I've missed a few stories. Um, but probably what I would want to tell myself um, as a beginning writer uh, is to um, not be afraid it's really, really hard to even get your, to get the courage up to let someone read your work. That to me was the most difficult step to take. I was fine because writing is, is a solitary effort usually. And, and you're, you know, you've got this thing in your mind and you're not sure if what you've put down on the paper actually captures how you want the story to look like. And maybe it doesn't capture how your favorite author writes at all and 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 so you get, you might not have enough courage to let someone read it so i join a critique group if you can find one at your library or at a bookstore or friends or take a class in writing when you take a class most generally if it's a creative writing class you'll be submitting your work to other people in the class and they will give you feedback and then you'll get the chance to see that not everybody's stuff is good on the first draft. Usually it's not. And, and how people make the changes and, and how you yourself can make the changes and improvements to your work. So be brave. Be brave, Diana. Go for it. <laughs> and future co-host, Tony Perona, bring us home. Um, I think uh, if I could go back and, and, and talk to my younger self, I would say to write consistently and stop trying to hit a home run. Be satisfied with base hits. I saw, because uh, I, I was trying to make everything perfect. I was trying to, you know, craft uh, really, you know, a story where everything was hidden and, you know, and, and I was, and I was trying to follow trends that were going on. And, and at the same time I was doing that, I saw, people who I admire who were just publishing a book a year and it wasn't they weren't knocking it out of the park but you know what by their fourth or fifth novels they were accumulating first of all they were getting better and second of all they were accumulating an audience and I should have done that you know I mean that was you know because when you look at it uh, I was first published in 2002 right and so, you know, next year is 20 years and I have eight books, which is, which is great. I mean, but most writers would have had 20 books, you know, at least a book a year. And many of them would have had more than that. Um, and I think, you know, I think that I just really needed, I, I've learned since then that that's what you need to do. Um, I still procrastinate terribly, but we're, 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 work, we're still working on that. We're still working on that. Uh, so that, uh, if you, if you um, want to find me, 
uh, www.elizabethperona.com. Uh, even though I do have uh, my first books, uh, you know, under Tony Perona, you we have all that information on the website www.elizabethperona.com. And we have, and I will say, the fourth book in the Bucket List Mystery series, Murder in the Tattoo Parlor, will be out November 1st. So we're excited about that. So um, book number four, yay. Congratulations on your launch. And, uh... and I want to say thank you, Rob. Thanks for hosting. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. You did a great job. Thank you. Speed City Sisters in crime. It was my pleasure. I can't believe I started with of crime. I don't know why people still agree to come on this show, but I'm so glad you did. We had a wonderful time. Uh, as always, esteemed audience, uh, for interviews with all the best people, head to middlegradeninja.com, download your free copies of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees and or the Book of David Chapter 1, and God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week.